This is the Endangered Species Podcast, the podcast by aspiring men for aspiring men. We gather here every week with one purpose, to get the godly man off the endangered species list. From Phoenix, Arizona, I'm your host, Sean Vollendorf. About 10 years ago, I found out about a manhood curriculum called Men's Fraternity. It's put out by the guys over at Authentic Manhood. I had no idea what I was about to get into. I had no idea that the way I thought about myself, my masculinity, all of that was about to change for the better. How many guys do you think would go through a manhood-based small group curriculum? Like, would that be a tough sell? Try over 2 million. Over 2 million men worldwide have been through these courses. Our guest today is the president of Authentic Manhood. Steve Snyder, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Sean. Great to be here, man. Love oh, that man. you're doing this. Oh, 100%, bud. We're, we're, we, feel, we feel really grateful to be able to do it. Um, our, our listenership is growing quickly, and um, that tells me there's, there's a hunger out there to um, have a vision of what godly manhood is. I think a lot of guys out there are hungry. They just don't have anything in front of them. They may not even have models, right? Yeah, even well-meaning men who want to who want to do this right, they don't they lack a vision. So yeah, you're you're right on. And that and that kills me. I always tell guys I'm in nonprofit work, and I always tell people unless something kills you, you can't do nonprofit work. And people are always like, "What what are you talking about? Something kills you?" And I'm like, "Man, when I get up in the morning, there has to be something that kill kills me." And and what kills me is what you just said, that there are actually well-meaning guys. There are guys who are hungry spiritually. They want to be godly men. They don't have models. They don't have mentors. They don't have guys investing in them. And so th th this podcast is our attempt to get guys like you in front of guys like them um, to, to see that. They may not see that. I love it. Love it. Man, take me through your growing up years, man. What, 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 what was your uh, youth like, your family, all that? Yeah, I'd love to. So, uh, yeah, sports was a big part of my youth. I played everything. You know, that's what that's just what you did. And um my community. And so that was a big part. Uh, having coaches in my life that encouraged me was a special part. Uh, grew up in church. So I'm thankful for that in a lot of ways. Um, so um, that was kind of the core of my youth. I wanted to play, you know, being an NFL football player. Roger Staubach was my guy in the Dallas Cowboys. He was my guy. Um, so that's, that's what I thought. Ended up getting to play uh, college football. And uh, so was on on track for that dream. It was small college football, so maybe not quite on track, but but at least I got to do that and enjoy that experience um, and thought I wanted to be a coach. That was uh, my early vision for my life to be an influence on others as those coaches had been on me and just love the game and being around the game and the players and the relationships. And so I did that for a year after college. I stayed there and, and coached for a year and enjoyed it. But there was this little thing in me with kind of observing other people. And my dad was this successful businessman and my father-in-law was a successful attorney of, you know, maybe I want to jump on this success journey and, and, and move more toward that. So um, coached for a year. And then after that, went and got my MBA and my law degree and really poured myself into that and, and did, did well enough to get a really good job at a big firm. And, and it didn't take me long uh, to learn that that wasn't my passion. And 
Sean, I love to get up in the morning and be passionate. Like you said, wake up in the morning and something is killing you that you can't not do. I like to get up and be passionate about what I'm doing. And I learned a lot on that, on that journey and, and practicing law and met a lot of people. And um, I'm, I'm glad I did it because of the perspective it gave me, but it wasn't my passion. Uh, so I, I left uh, the law practice after about four years and, and jumped into the insurance business and, and enjoyed that more. I was using my legal background and um, getting to travel. We worked with some large corporations, um, but it was about that time that Beth, my wife and I got plugged into this church, Fellowship Bible Church. And I was invited to go to this men's gathering called Men's Fraternity. This was in 1990 and led by this guy named Robert Lewis. And man, I started going to that and, and getting involved in this church. And there was nothing that we were more passionate about than what God was doing. And both in the church, uh, in us through this church, and then this group of men. And this group of men started with like 30 or 40 guys. And within a year or two, it grew to like 300 guys. And within three or four years, four or five years, there were a thousand men gathering at 6.30 in the morning to hear this vision of what Robert called authentic manhood um, and, build, and building this men's fraternity. And I knew he had hit on something in me and he had obviously hit on something in the lives of, of men all over the community. And, th and these weren't just men from the church. These were guys coming in um, that, that never had never set foot in a church um, because if they, they had never heard this idea um, that there are these, these practical um, insights from scripture that are encouraging to men and how they live their lives in their work, in their marriage, in their fatherhood and all these big areas of life. And so man, God started doing something in me there and it was about that time I was invited to be an elder at the church and Robert and I got pretty close and we decided as a church to create this organization that would do a couple of things one we would we would train young leaders to go around the world to reproduce what God was doing in in this church in fellowship bible church and then also to take this vision of manhood and, and try to reproduce it so that we could share that vision with men around the world. And it's really a miracle, Sean, that God took me with the background in coaching and, and law and insurance that just dropped this passion in my heart based on my own experience, experience to say, hey, walk away from all that and let's launch this new thing. My wife didn't know what the heck we were stepping into and it, and you're going to make any money, man. <laughs> yeah. Most of them, I mean, we're just kind of just getting to this place in career where we were, we could breathe financially and, you know, some respect and position and titles. And so it was a challenging few months where we were praying through that and talking through that. Now, and, and I wasn't going to do it without her all in obviously, but it came to this moment, this really rich moment in our marriage where she looked at me one day and we talked through it. We'd prayed through it. And she said, uh, I don't think we can not do this. And so God invited us on this journey to create. And, and I, and I kind of have this entrepreneurial spirit and I love coaching. So it kind of brought me back into the coaching world just differently. Not football, it's more around church planting and manhood. So it was kind of cool to be uh, invited back into coaching in that way. But that was 
that was in 1999 that we launched out and did that. So it's really kind of a miracle to see what God's done now that we've been blessed to plant over a hundred churches around the world in places like Dubai and Mexico and Europe and Honduras and Guatemala and Los Angeles to New York and all places in between. And so that's been amazing. And then to watch a lot of those church plants plant other churches now that those, those church plants are maturing. And then, you know, beginning with men's fraternity and now with our curriculum that we call 33, the series, and we can talk more about that. Um, we've been able to reach millions of men around the world with that vision of what we call authentic manhood. Yeah, literally millions. Some say millions and, and they mean thousands, but I, I know the numbers and it's really incredible. I want to back up for a second because um, I'll tell you, Steve, in my observation over the years, in general, churches are not effective in reaching men. So when you just told me, you know, we've planted over 100 churches, actually that part doesn't excite me near as much as the thought that every one of those churches was trained in a place that prioritized reaching the disenfranchised, the spiritually disenfranchised man. I, I, I've shared with you before that my own father-in-law, um, not going to church very much at the time, darkened the doors of Fellowship Bible Church because he heard about men's fraternity from a friend. He sat there and he learned uh, from the scriptures in a, in a really relatable and concise, clear way what godly manhood looks like. And he realized, I see that in Jesus. I want to have a relationship with God and became a believer. That gets me fired up, man. Well, I love hearing, obviously love hearing stories like that. Those are the ones that get me up in the morning and keep doing what we're doing. That when we connect with a man like that, that again, he's probably a well-meaning guy who worked hard in his life to build a career and love his daughter, your wife, doing the best he could, but had never been given that vision. So um, that's awesome. Why do you think so many guys look at church in general and they do not see themselves there? Uh, you know, churches just historically hadn't been great at, at connecting with men. Um, you know, men like to mix it up and just be real and, and uh, be challenged and be called up and, and kind of, and connect with other men. There's just something about that that's unique and different, you know, going to, going to the hunting camp or, or doing sports together or your golf group that, you know, gets together. Men are drawn to that. And I think church didn't do a great job for a long time of creating a space that just felt it was made for men. You know, one thing that Robert did that was really smart early on, and we tried to continue to do is just create a manhood feel. You know, when you walked into men's fraternity back in the day, you yeah, you were walking into a church building, but you had ESPN clips playing up on the screen and you had, you know, loud music going and there was coffee and there was just this environment that felt different. It didn't feel like walking into a solemn, holy, nothing wrong with that, you know, but it just felt different and unique, kind of like it was made for men. That, that was one thing. Another thing that um, we've learned through our church plants and then just in my own eldership is uh, is challenging men to be involved in church. And that's kind of what bring men alive when you challenge them to be involved in something and, and to own something. And so, uh, yeah, those kids in the learning center that most of them are being taught by women, man, they need to hear the voice of some men as well. They're boys in there. 
that hearing the voice of man is going to hear it differently. So get involved and just calling them to that, giving again, giving them a vision for that, I think has been a big part of uh, seeing more men get involved in church. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, well, you grew up in church. Were, who were the guys you looked up to? Were there, were there some out there that you said, I want to be like him? I started thinking about it. Um, and I started thinking about some guys that I looked up to, some athletes, because that was a big part, you know, of my journey sports and, and some different guys like that. But I kept coming back to somebody that kind of surprised me. And, um, and that was my dad. And you go, well, why would that surprise you? It was your dad. Um, my dad and I weren't real close in the sense of just a true heart connection. My dad was there and he was present and he was at all my ball games and he gave me a lot of things. I always, I, you know, he was, I admired the fact that he, he was this big, confident, he was a bank president. He was involved in the state chamber of commerce. Um, he felt important. He was on college boards and, and all these things that just felt important and successful to me. But one thing I always saw in him is that he was always, he always desired to help others. Um, he, we were always inviting somebody to live in our home that couldn't make it on their own. He was making loans to people as a banker that he probably shouldn't, most bankers probably wouldn't have been making those loans. So in that sense, you could say he may not have been a great banker, but man, he helped a lot of people. And as imperfect as he was, um, we lost him this last year. He passed away and it's been a kind of a sweet time to look back at, yeah, yeah, I wish we could have been closer kind of at a heart level. He, he really, as like we're talking about, as a well-meaning man, it had never been modeled for him how to be close with other men, including his kids. And, uh, but, but the sweet, the sweet things that he did do to help so many other people, um, man, I really admired that, but it was that, that well-meaning man again, that, um, didn't know how to give his heart away to others. That is, is really a lot of my passion to encourage other men with that vision. But it, it was fun. To, it's fun to sit in this moment in my life and to go, man, I really looked up and, and admired my dad. Not everybody can say that, man. That's, that's really cool. The, the legacy that he left in your life. And I think every generation had, had some of those glaring holes. You know, I, I do think, you know, our fathers struggled with emotional connection. Uh, pr probably the, you know, the fathers today, they're, they're calling them lawnmower, lawnmower parents where they try to remove every obstacle in their kid's way. They're trying, trying to build a man without headwinds. It's, it's not a good idea. You know, every, every generation's kids are going to look back and go, yeah, my, my dad could have done this or could have done that. I, I want to get into 33 uh, here in a minute, which was birthed out of men's fraternity. But um, the, the word fraternity sticks out to me because, you know, I, I know you guys chose that for a reason. And, you know, of course, when most people think about fraternity, they don't think about a fraternity of godly men. So, man, how did you guys get there? Not necessarily. Well, yeah, that was uh, that was Robert's uh, insight to do that. But man, it's you know, fraternity means team. It means brotherhood. It means guys coming together to do life together, building around um, you know commonalities, things things that we enjoy together. So, yeah, I, I love that word too um, because of what it stands for. Life is a team sport. We say that a lot in our curriculum. Men need other men. 
in their lives to, to live life healthily. And so, I, yeah, I like that word fraternity as well. We did, we did transition from the word fraternity. Uh, you know, men's fraternity had been around for a while and like any curriculum, it kind of got older uh, as technology improved and uh, the internet became more prevalent. Uh, you know, men's fraternity were hour long sessions with a, a, a preacher standing on stage in a church giving a, a presentation. And so we kind of needed to update it and, and create something new. So that's when we created 33 and we changed the name because we wanted to do this with 33. We wanted to be clear from the very beginning that what we're doing is that we're pointing men to Jesus, both as our hope and our inspiration. And so we call it 33 the series uh, because, because Jesus and his 33 years on earth um, is at the core of 33. Oh, that's really cool, man. T tell us about kind of uh, the, the main points of the curriculum. We got guys out there. Who, this is the first time they've ever heard of Men's Fraternity or 33. What, why would they want to find themselves in a group? Yeah, so um, yeah, I appreciate you asking that. So what we like to say is we don't have all the answers, but man, we love encouraging men with a vision, um, with some tracks to run on we like to say kind of the, the big important areas of a man's life, because as we've been talking, Sean, there, there's just so much confusion out there of what it means to be a man. And so, and so we get practical wisdom and insights uh, from the words of scripture, uh, from the lives of other men. And like I said, from Jesus himself and his life, in the way he lived and loved and led um, to, to help give guys a vision and overcome that confusion. Um, and we focus, like I said, on some of the big areas of the man's life, like a man in his marriage, obviously that's huge, a man in his fatherhood, um, a man in his work life. We give men a vision that your work life is so much more important and it's so much bigger than just a job to make money and have a title. Uh, but there can be purpose in that. And, and we can be a life-giving spirit, we like to say, like Jesus was in our work. And our, we can see our work is more a vocation than just a career or a job. So we give men a vision around their work life. We get in, we dive into uh, what we call a man in his traps. There's so many things that can trip us up in this life. Um, things like our pursuit of, of the idols of comfort. Nothing wrong with being comfortable, but that can so quickly become an idol or our idol of control or our idols of significance. We dive into those things because they can be so attractive and they can get us off track and trip us up. But down inside each one of those idols, there, there are lies. There are lies that, that we're not seeing um, in our pursuit of them that can really get us off track. So we dive into that and encourage guys with that. We, we, um, we really help guys understand their story, which is so important to understand where we come from, our relationship with dad, with mom, with other men, with God. That helps us understand so much of who we are as a man and um, helps us do some uh, important work that we need to do as men. So, yeah, we dive into those big areas of life um, that are so important and meaningful for us to have a vision around because too often, if, if men don't have that, we're just guessing. 
we're just guessing and we're listening to culture and we're listening to Hollywood and we're, and we're listening to who others think we should be, not who God made us to be. And we can become this false self of trying to prove and perform um, and leave our hearts behind. So um, that's kind of the, the essence of 33. We love, also we love this. This is, this is huge, Sean. It's getting men together to be real with other men. And 33 creates a setting to do that. As you know, um, we have six volumes around those big areas of manhood. Each volume just has six sessions in it. So it's not a huge commitment for a man to do. And each session, each video session is only 30 minutes long. So it's not a huge commitment for a man to sit down with other men to watch 30 minutes on, on these important areas of a life. But then it tees them up to be in community together and to begin talking about these things. And that's where it get. that's where the magic happens. That's where it gets so awesome because now you get men sharing their hearts and they look around this small group, this circle, as you know, you've led a lot of guys through it. You start looking around this circle, this group of men that you're in and you go, Hey, it's not just me that's feeling that he is too. And he's, he's scared to death of the same thing I am. And he's tripping up in his marriage and is not sure how to respond about it. Just like I am. Um, and, and now you have this new freedom to be real and, and that's where change can happen. So it 33 sets guys up for that as well. I love how you started out talking about how men need to be encouraged. Um, what I hear in culture is that men are beating up the world. What I actually see generally is that men are getting beat up by the world <laughs> and they, they do need encouragement. I, I do think sometimes men need to be kicked in the balls, but in general, I think a lot of guys just need to be told, man, this is who you can be. This is who you can become. I've actually led six of these groups, these 33 groups, and every single time the guys are invigorated with, oh man, God is for me. God wants to help me through some of my my hurts and bad habits and and things from my past. And it really only happens when you get a group of men together. There's just something about a group of men. And I'll say this, I think some guys who will who will never uh, initially anyway, go to church, will look at a group, like a, a small group in a curriculum like 33 and say, yeah, I'll do that. Especially if we're starting to tie some of these groups to outings. So this, this last weekend up in Colorado, we did a gun shoot. We went out and shot clays. And so we, we had 30 guys there. And, you know, I, I think if we just said, hey, let's all get together and, and sit around and discuss some stuff, we would have had, you know, five. But we said, hey, come shoot clays with us. And we turned it into a competition. I mean, two thirds of the guys had never held a gun in their lives. But by the end, the guy who had never shot before won the competition. You know, he, he beat all the guys who were hunting his whole life. And after that, we gave we gave a man talk and basically tie it in to um, manhood content. Guys are hungry for that if you just let them know you're for them and giving them an avenue to pursue that. Absolutely. Yeah. And like we were talking about in church earlier, what you did is you're getting men involved, active together, and men are just drawn to that. So I love that. You know, some of the coolest stories we get are like that. We got sports teams that are using 33. I'll tell you a cool movement that we have going on right now is there are uh, cigar shops all over the country that are using 33. You know, what do men do at cigar shops? They gather. Sit around and tell lies. <laughs> Sit around and tell lies and the stories get bigger every time. Absolutely. 
but they're gathering and what they're gathering for is that community that we all need. And we had a cigar shop owner that was introduced to 33. And he said, that's what I want to do in my cigar shop. That's what I want to create that kind of authentic community to move beyond the weather and the sports and the lies and the impressing each other and, and all that. And so at seven o'clock on Monday nights, he pushes play on 33, the series. And the crowd started at, you know, fairly small and it started growing and it started growing and it started growing and it got so big that he had to open up the doors at the cigar shop for guys to sit outside because, because the community there now was this deep, rich, meaningful, free place to be real. And what I mean is heart freedom, you know, to be real and, and some of the some of the stories that we hear coming out of these cigar shops, you know, unfortunately, sometimes a guy might feel permission to be more real in that setting than he might be in a church, which I hate. And I think that's something that we as, as a church should hear. Church should be a place where we can be real like that. But man, there's some stories that will just knock your socks off of guys sharing their hearts and and, and parts of their lives that like there's a story that that came out recently, there was a young man that was part of 33 in a cigar shop. And about halfway through the series, he, he shared his addiction to meth. He said, guys, I'm, I, I'm stuck. The group came together, funded sending him to rehab to totally change his life. So anyway, um, yeah, I love it. I love it when guys are creative like that in a setting like that to invite guys into the, to the real stuff. And that's what 33 can set you up to do. Yeah. What, what I've seen it do for guys, young married guys, is they start processing some of their hurts. They get open with other men. They have models in their life now. They're going with through content that helps them uh, understand from a biblical perspective some of the experiences they've had in their life, the kind of man they're supposed to become. And, oh, man, their marriage starts improving. Their relationship with their kids start improving. Um I got to wonder if some of those ladies who hate the, the smell of cigar smoke now like it. It's like, this, this smells like godly manhood to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, you know, some of our biggest fans, some people, some people say, well, why do you just do stuff for men and not for women? Well, we are men. So we're talking to men, but some of our biggest fans are, are the ladies who are married to the men who are going through 33 because there's this new guy coming home that's loving his wife differently. And so some of our biggest fans are, are women. We get letters from going, Hey, thanks for encouraging my husband. Yeah. You said something really interesting there, Steve, you said some people have asked you, you know, where, where's the curriculum for women? What, when are y'all going to do something for women? I, I understand that like men and women need God. We, we both need to grow. But as you said, we're men, we want to reach men. And there's a whole host of reasons for that. I think maybe a part of me thinks there's some negative coming from that. There's, there's, some, there's the cynical questioner who uh, has other motives in asking that question, I wonder. I wanted to ask you, wh why is the world trying to eliminate every difference between men and women? That's a great question. And it's a complex question, I think. And it probably has a lot of complex answers with all kinds of variables around that, you know, beginning with we're, we're fallen people. And unless we're pursuing God and doing the work that we talked about in our own hearts and truly see our need for him and understand in that his vision for men and women, which he obviously has made us different 
Just look at us physically, we're different. Just look at us emotionally, we're different. And difference not bad, difference is beautiful when you see it come together um, like it's supposed to. But that that's one, and there's a whole lot of complex ways that goes, beginning with that. But I wanna go to this place that just kind of jumps out at me, and it, maybe it's too simple, but I think it's real. And some of it's ownership on us by men. Um, I think there's such a lack of healthy, loving, men of God, fathers that are involved with their kids, that are loving their wife well, that are being a life-giving spirit to their families, to their kids, and giving their kids that vision of what a healthy man is and looks like, that's giving life to them, that's a beautiful thing in their lives. Too often that's missing, either dad's not present, or if he's present, he brings this toxic, power-driven, uh, masculinity that's that's more hurtful than it is helpful and loving. And I think when that is such a reality in our world, I think that reflects on us as men that I think there's a lot of reaction to that, both with boys and girls going, I don't want that. And, and maybe, maybe even women trying to feel some of that or say, it kind of just reflects on us as men as being unhealthy. And, and y'all, y'all are failing. Y'all aren't doing your job. You're, 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 you're creating damage and, and causing problems more than you're giving life and being caring and loving. And I think that's, that's at least part of the equation of what's going on in culture of men being maybe devalued and criticized. Some of it's probably unfortunately earned. That's a really good point. I think that's a really good point. One of the things I do with the young guys I'm trying to mentor is try to ensure they have some headwinds in their lives. Like I said, a lot of them, their parents, you know, uh, bulldozed every even speed bump in their path. And so I, I just don't think godly men are, are built in tailwinds, in comfortable atmospheres. For you, man, were there some hard things that you faced in your life coming up? For sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if hard would have been fair to say growing up. I had, uh, you know, I had a lot of good things going. Uh, when I when I think of hard things in life that I learned from, you know, there are things like college football two-a-days. That was hard. I think law school and the bar exam, those were hard. You know, raising three kids, they're hard things in that. There's a lot of great in it, but but that's hard, especially when you have three weddings in one year, like I sh shared with you earlier, especially in the middle of COVID. That's hard. That's hard on your retirement too, man. <laughs> and it's hard in a lot of ways. So those kind of feel hard, but then I kind of think, you know, um, hard things that are even different than that, that kind of take you to the end of yourself. Yes. Kind of God things. Um, when I was 35, Sean, I was out coaching Jack, who, you know, my oldest son, um, you were a big part in Jack's, uh, college life when you were heading up Stumo and I dropped him off to college and you were kind enough to go to lunch with us and love on Jack and encourage Jack and then in, in, introduce him to some other guys side note there but um, I was coaching his soccer practice he was about seven years old and I'm, I'm out there coaching a beautiful October day and I, I get this crushing sensation in my chest just like, go away. Did I eat those tacos too fast? What's, you know, I'm young, I'm at an athlete, I'm in shape. It's not my heart. What's going on here? And I finally had to sit down and I finally had a, against my will, a buddy of mine say, we're going to the hospital. 
Long story short, that set me off on a journey of the next year where I had to have three procedures on my heart and ultimately heart surgery. And you talk about this proud, prideful, um, athletic, young, in-shape guy kind of coming to the end of himself. That was hard. That was hard emotionally. That was hard physically. That was hard spiritually. And really it was for the, maybe the first time, honestly, that, that I realized, Hey, you're not in control, young man. You're not God. As crazy as it sounds to say that I truly was introduced to that for the first time. And so God used that hard thing in my life for sure. Um, another hard thing was, um, sitting down with my young nieces, two young nieces and nephew in grade school to tell them that their dad, my younger brother went to see Jesus in his sleep last night and it's totally unexpectedly and walking through that with them and this young family trying to be there in the, in the way that I could. And it just, life had, you know, just felt like, um, life had fallen apart because it had. And so walking through that with them was kind of this place where, again, I reached the end of myself and all I had was God just to cling to and hang on to and hope in and just try to breathe. To be frank with you, I, I don't know how people do things like that without the Lord. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't either, man. I don't know how you even process that. Um, what, what you tell them in that. So that was, that was a hard time in life again, where that was six years ago, but we're still living in that in different ways, but God brought us a long way, brought me a long way personally in that. And he's used it amazingly in that, uh, in my own heart, in my own life. But, um, again, it's one of those hard times that, that you just kind of come to the end of yourself. Another one that, um, is, is hard is just some of the work I'm doing that really sprung out of that, uh, in my heart and understanding my true need for God. Uh, we can talk about it more, uh, if you want to later, but just understanding my true need for God and, and the wounds and the hurts and the fears and honesty that I have in my own heart that really shows me my true need for him. That's been a hard process, but really uh, helpful and meaningful in my um, relationship with Jesus. That's powerful, man. Sadly, what you just said there at the end, I think a lot of people would say is a lot of guys would think of as kind of women stuff. Oh, heart stuff. You know, that, that that's a feminine thing, you know, and it's like, no. Now, to, to use the phrase heart work, I, I had some heart work to do. God had to do some work on my heart. That's not a that's not a female thing. That's a human thing. Yeah. With our church planters, as I shared, we train young men to go out and plant churches um, more and more and more. What we understand that a young man needs is not necessarily just leadership, knowledge or coaching. That's that matters. There's, that's something or you know, the, the, the do's and don'ts, the practical how to's of church planting that that's part of what we do, but man, the most meaningful work that we do with these young men is around what you're talking about. It's emotional spirituality. It's self-awareness. It's understanding who they truly are and what their true needs are. And man, when they, when they get in touch with that and understand their true need for Jesus in a new way, personally, that changes them as a man, as a person, as a pastor. 
in pastoring other people. So that's been a real meaningful part of my journey. And if you don't mind, one of the questions you mentioned that you might ask is, you know, what does it mean to you to be a godly man? What is a godly man? Can I jump into that? 100%. Because it fits with what we're talking about here. Used to, I would have answered that question one way. And I would have said this. I would have said a godly man is a man who's made a decision to follow Jesus. And I kind of saw that as, okay, I'm saved and I'm stamped and I'm in and I'm good. And, and, and go on this journey of learning about God and doing Bible studies and going to church and doing some good things and trying to help others. Those are all good things. Those are all great things. But for me now and the stuff that we're talking about, this heart work, how would answer that question differently for me? And maybe everybody answers that differently based on where they are in this journey because it is a journey. But I would say a, a man of God is a man who's living life with his eyes fixed on Jesus and he's needing and he's seeking and he's trusting God in the, in the places of his deepest needs in his heart. So this man of God journey for me is gone beyond just not knowledge. Again, knowledge is not bad, but it's, it's deeper than that to a true understanding of my needs for Jesus. And I, I love looking at the life of Peter for this. Um, I like Peter because he's kind of this energetic, reactive man's man kind of seems like, you know, can seems like kind of the leader of the group sometimes. But you look at this journey Peter was on as a man of God. And Peter was invited to be a man of God by Jesus himself personally, right? Jesus invited Peter to follow him and Peter immediately said, yes. So Peter made the decision and he followed Jesus. And then Jesus takes him on this journey to become a man of God that goes beyond just that decision and just that belief and just that knowledge. For instance, Jesus, you know, he's with his disciples um, on the sea and this storm comes and the disciples get scared to death, including Peter. And Peter looks out and he sees Jesus walking on water and Jesus invites him to join him. Jesus says, come to me. And with his eyes fixed on Jesus, Peter steps out there and he walks on water. And then he looks around him and he realizes I'm walking on water and I can't do that. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he sinks. And Jesus introduces him in that moment of the true fear that Peter has in his heart and how he needs Jesus to overcome that fear. Right. And that's something going on in Peter's heart. And then you go to the night before Jesus is, crucifixion and Jesus has got all the disciples again and he's kind of telling them what's ahead and they're kind of trying to figure it out and it's not all clear but Peter knows this Peter says I'm with you no matter what no matter what I'm with you and Jesus probably real kindly looks at Peter and says Peter you're going to deny me three times even before the sun comes up no way of all people in the world I will be the last to deny you I'm all in well we know the story before the sun comes up, Jesus had not only, not only not said he's not following him, but says, I don't even know him. I hadn't been with him. So we see that moment, maybe of doubt that's arising in Peter's heart that he, he obviously was not aware of until Jesus helped make him aware of that. In that. And then you got the crucifixion that happens and Jesus is dead now. And what does Peter do? He goes fishing. 
and maybe maybe doubt crept in again there. It's over. Go back to my stuff. He wasn't going out telling people the story. He went, he was just went back to his old job. And then Jesus shows up on the shore and he reinvites Peter. Peter jumps in and swims to him. And Jesus, right there on the shore, forgives Peter three times for the three times Peter denied him, reinvites him to follow him. Now Peter knows himself in a whole new and different way. Jesus took him on this journey where he saw his deficiencies, his fears, his doubts, his needs, his shame. And now, man, he is all in. He gives the rest of his life to not only following and living for Jesus, but dying for Jesus. And I love that picture of Peter and being a man of God that goes beyond a decision, beyond just belief, but to truly understand himself and the deepest needs of his soul, to watch his faith come alive in a whole, whole new way. So for a man pursuing that, for me in my own life pursuing that, um, has taken me to this new beautiful place that you talk about um, kind of doing some important heart work. And now loving people out of that and encouraging others in that has been a beautiful part of my journey to try to be a man of God. We ask all of our guests, Steve, what they would say to their 21-year-old self. You could get 21-year-old you on the phone or write yourself a letter. What would you say to the 21-year-old Steve Snyder? The first thing that jumped off the page, but just because of who I was, is, hey, you don't have to have it all together and you don't have to pretend like you do. Because good news is I grew up in church. Okay, I'm thankful for that. Bad news is part of my early spiritual journey was, hey, we have it all together as Christians, and we just don't. None of us do. So, Steve, it's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to make mistakes. It's more about what you learn from and how you respond to that than making mistakes. You're going to let that be okay and embrace that. Um, another one is this. Hey, real quick. I, I mentor a lot of college guys, and that is gold for me. I, I heard you say that just now, and, I, and to be honest, I've forgotten just how much a guy in his 20s, really everybody needs to hear that, but a guy in his 20s, I could have heard that almost every day at 21. Here's another one that's been real meaningful to me that I wish I had known back then, and maybe I could have heard it, maybe I couldn't, I would have wanted to try, and that's this, part of faith includes doubts, and and that's okay, it just is. You know, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. And God, for whatever reason, chose to give us this journey of faith, not certainty. Dependence on him, dependence on each other through love and grace and all those things. So part of your faith is doubt. And don't you don't have to get it all figured out. Because I was on this journey to figure it all out and know God perfectly and have all the answers. Let go of that and invite God in and others into that. And let that be okay. Because that that can strengthen your faith, not diminish it. So I would like to have told myself that. Um, that's one thing. Um, here's another one I would say. As you do seek to know God, make your focus on Jesus primarily. Because Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. And watch how he lived and watch how he loved and watch how he led and make that your focus. But um, And not that I didn't. But, but a lot of my earlier spiritual journey, again, was figuring God out, having all the answers, 
getting the perfect theology, you know, all those things. And I wish I'd had the freedom to fix my more of my eyes on Jesus and how he lived life and, and what he called us to. So, so practically, does that just mean spending an increased amount of time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? That, Sean, this has been not, I mean, the other books are meaningful, obviously, but one of my favorite things to do that's just been beautiful in my life and really I would say brought my faith to life is in one of the gospels, just meditating on fixing my thoughts and my mind and my time for a period of time on a scene in Jesus's life and how he handled it and probably what he was feeling, what others were feeling around him, how he spoke to the hurting and the needy on the one hand, the love and compassion and grace he showed there to people he was different than and that the religious people ran from how he did that. And how he spoke to the religious people, you know, the religious rule keepers that ha- that were so much me had it all together, or at least wanted to act like, and they would go, "Hey, Jesus, should they be doing that? Is, shouldn't they not?" And he always took them back to the heart, and and so yeah, for me, that's been a real meaningful part of my journey, really spending time there. I feel like I'm spending time with him when I'm doing that, and that's been really fun and beautiful. So. Uh, that's one. Another one is um, invite an older, wider person in your life, not just to be a mentor and help help you navigate different things, but to help you see yourself more clearly. Because we we have a hard time seeing ourselves clearly without without being in relate not being in relationship. And to seek that with somebody older and wiser that can help you see your strengths, your weaknesses your needs. And I would have desired for myself earlier in life to have the freedom to hear those things from somebody that loved me, cared about me and wanted to help me see those. It would have been real freeing because it's been freeing to me. Well, you think about playing sports without a coach, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't play football without a coach. You wouldn't play baseball without a coach. There's, there's so much, there's an atmosphere of encouragement and feedback. And yet when it comes to our manhood and our, and our godly manhood journey, um, we're usually not smart enough at 18, 19, 20. Uh, and some men kind of never really get smart enough to, to realize, man, I, I need some older, wiser guys, as you said, to coach me. Exactly. So I, I would really encourage that. And then, and then finally, I would have, I would, I would have uh, shared this with myself. I would have said, know this going into your life journey, that much of your life journey, much of your spiritual journey is going to be about order, then disorder and then reorder. That's a big part of life change. It happens. We get comfortable and we get life kind of like we like it. And, and then life happens and all the self-reliance and the comfort, those things can so quickly and easily crumble. That's just part of life. Uh, uh, I'll share this. This was a part of my journey dealing with some of those things. Uh, when hard things happen, death, as I shared with you some, um, you know, you just feel like you're in the darkness and all your comforts are gone. And, and um, there's just this deep longing inside of you for the light again. And I read, I read in a book that I was reading um, a guy describing being in that place like this, in the disorder like this, that's going to, that's going to be a reality in life. We so bad want to run out of the darkness and leave it behind and just get back to order and comfort and the light. 
and and he he shared that the only place to ever get back to the light is to run into the darkness and embrace the disorder because that's going to be part of what brings us back to the light and part of that's doing the work that i talked about in our own hearts about our hurts and our needs and our fears and our doubts and those things but anyway i would to have that vision to know that much of life is going to be about order yes but then disorder and then in pursuing God and giving him your needs and seeking him and trusting him and needing him, you can move back to a healthy reorder. Steve, thanks for being with us, man. Uh, I think you know this, but you are on the endangered species list. We, we need, we need to, to get you to continue to be the godly man that you are. We need more guys around the globe going through 33 and we will continue to sound that alarm. Thanks so much for giving us your time, but it's great to see you. Great, great being with you, Sean. Appreciate you doing this. All right, gargantuan thanks to our legendary producer, Logan Bonjean. You can find manhood materials at authenticmanhood.com, guys. Check it out. Gentlemen, becoming and staying a godly man is a matter of choice, not chance. Go out today and make the choice to take steps toward godly manhood. Let's get the godly man off the endangered species list. If you like the pod, subscribe, rate, comment, share with other dudes, dads, bros, uncles, and all such other males. When you share this episode with any of the above, you'll have an impact on their lives. We'll see you guys seven days from today.